to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Better Golf Pod Nation. After an extended break for us here on the show over the past few months, we are back to begin the 2023 season at the Century Tournament of Champions. If you're tuning into the program for the first time, I am Tee Off Sports. My partner in crime is Sticks Picks, and the two of us will be taking you through the betting board from top to bottom, providing not only our favorite wagers for you to consider this week in Hawaii, but also discussing many other topics, including an in-depth breakdown of the course these golfers are playing and potential DFS targets that you might want to consider. For anyone wondering, the two of us can still be heard on the Action Network Links and Locks podcast with Roberto Arguello every Wednesday morning when that show releases. But I think I speak for both of us, Nick, when I say that we are glad to be back here filming episodes for Better Golf. The support everyone has shown us throughout the space over the past two years of us building this program has been incredible, and we couldn't be more excited to get this ship back up and running in style to begin the new year. So Nick, with all of that being said, I feel like it's been forever since we've last spoken to one another. First off, how was your holiday season? And second, do you want to tell us a little bit about your trip out to New Orleans for the live DFS finals? I know that the end result there wasn't exactly what you were hoping for, but talk to us a little bit about that if you can. Certainly. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm super pumped to be back. I know we, we've we been texting and everything, but haven't spoke golf in a long time. I'm excited to uh, to tinker my lineups on Wednesday of this week to send them your way to see what you think. But yeah, I'm excited for golf DFS. Most of all, I mean, football, it's been awesome. I mean, a ton of up and downs had some, some huge calls the Christian Watson week, uh, the coming out part against Dallas was probably my biggest edge um, all year. So, so that was huge. Um, We had a lot of Mike Evans this week and Amari Cooper and Deshaun Watson on Sunday. So that was sweet too. But yeah, the, the live final was, uh, was a bummer. We had two tickets um one of the lineups was justin herbert who's going to be projected to be like nut chalk that week he turned out to be nut chalk that week um we double stacked it with mike and keenan try to get a little bit different but kind of play like a, a more chalky line for the baseline figure that lineup would probably you know be, be a little bit of a hedge for how crazy we'd be with our other lineup that's usually like the other lineup is how i would typically build um and pretty much displayed all the chalk in that Chargers game, but ran it back with uh, Derek Henry and Nick Westbrook-Akini. I don't think Nick Westbrook-Akini even had a catch, maybe two or three targets, and Tannehill got hurt that day too, so that kind of sucks because that's kind of where his I was projecting the targets to go, and we were the only people in the tournament with Nick Westbrook, so that was kind of funny. Out of 200 people, his ownership was .05, so uh, pretty funny there, but uh, the main lineup was a Tom Brady double stack. Um just kind of, you know, we had Jamar Chase as the run back there. That made a lot of sense. But, yeah, Tom Brady, I believe, was on pace to be QB1 that slate at halftime and did absolutely nothing in the second half. So that was when they hosted the Bengals, if you remember that game, just a horrible second half for the Bucks. So uh, obviously didn't get there. You had to pretty much play Jacksonville and Dallas stacks to to be quite successful that week. I'm sure there's some other lineups, too, that, that were fine. But, yeah, yeah. Um, the weird lineup usually the weirds what got me there to begin with and and that's usually what i like to do and just, just didn't happen this year so i'm very uh very down finals year for me so i was kind of pissed about that but having said that i think it's it, it was great to be off from dual sports i mean I, I know we tried to do it a little bit in the beginning then the tournaments just got really bland and, and bad golfers and golfers we don't know a whole lot about i don't want to call them bad golfers but you and I are very data driven. We we also like to watch golf and see how, how the guys, you know, pass the eye test and things like that. 
shit that everybody likes to do. I get that. But those tournaments were just flooded with guys we didn't know a whole lot about. So also the hold percentages from most of those books yeah. in the fall were horrible. So if to you and I, it's kind of like a, a stay away. I'm sure you were still betting and I was re- keeping an eye on a lot of your stuff too. We did get a Russell Henley win at Mayakobo, which was beautiful because that's my boy. Finally paid off for us a little bit. I did have that ticket. But other than that, I uh, kind of took the fall strictly for football. And as much as I love football, it is so much work. It is, you know, I'm, I'm putting in. I'm not going to toot my horn or anything like that, but like it's multiple. I like it's it's two full time jobs at that point with football and golf is a lot less. Not saying I, we don't put a ton of time into golf, but, you know, it's it's one or two. Like you got to be ready by Wednesday and, and you're done. Like with football, you got all the way up until Sunday morning, injury reports, all that stuff. Like you're constantly changing all the, the angles that you thought to attack a slate with golf. It's, um, you know, you'll get your classic Hideki Matsuyama withdrawal or something day of, but other than that golf, you usually know what you're going to get. Weather reports are pretty good by the time that we do this show Wednesday, you kind of check that over. Other than that, you're good to go. So I'm just excited to talk golf and kind of take the, uh, the breather away from football. Cause week 18, I really don't take super seriously. I'll certainly go through the model try to project who's all going to play their starters, all that stuff. This week actually looks pretty clean. So that'll be fun. But I absolutely love playoff football, DFS slates. It seems like the smaller slates there are, you really only got got to get different with one or two um, players, and that's usually somewhere that I seem to have a lot of success in and is a smaller slate. So I'm excited for that, paired with some great golf coming up. So uh, let's do this thing for the Tournament of Champions. Perfect. So we have the Kapalua Plantation course, 7,596 yards, par 73 Bermuda Greens. The last five winners of the tournament have been Cam Smith, 34 under, Harris English, 25 under, Justin Thomas, 14 under. That event was ravaged by win. I wouldn't necessarily look at that total there. Xander Shoffley, 23 under, and Dustin Johnson, 24 under. You know, Nick, we know this is a limited field contest with only 39 players. There won't be a cut for anyone that can physically make it through four rounds of golf. All those factors provide us this eclectic board to try and maneuver through to begin 2023. But talk to me a little bit about what you noticed from a statistical perspective when it came to Kapalua. And while I do want to save the game theory answers for when we get into the DFS section, did you notice anything either from a metric or ownership viewpoint that shifted your thoughts as you built your model this week? Yeah, yeah I mean, overall, this this a week I'm not going to go crazy. I'll certainly play like it'll be a much more heavy DFS week for me, just kind of playing the ownership game. But in terms of betting, I only have two bets on my card as we speak one placement and one outright other than that i think it'll be another tournament where i kind of sit and see how things go on thursday to bet something live in the outright market uh matchups kind of went through all of them seems like i missed the boat there by looking today i probably should have got on matchups yesterday but again i was going into monday night slate of football one of the you know obviously thoughts and uh and prayers with uh with hamlin there for buffalo that's a, a crazy seen any show you're listening to right now is probably talking about it. so we'll we'll skip that none of us are experts on what's going on there just crazy crazy scene and, and terrible to see um but yeah that's kind of what i was doing yesterday so missed the boat on a, what i think is a, a good edge of matchups yesterday i saw some of the tickets you had so um, yeah seems like i missed the boat there but other than that I'm, I'm really looking at you know distance off the tee everybody's gonna gonna value that it seems like you had a lot of rollout here so i'm not sold like it's 100 got to be long hitters I, i'm not necessarily saying that by any means but proximity from 50 to 100 and then 200 plus so really when i looked at how i weighted the model and pulled out um 2022 numbers and weights that were similar this to me and i i read your your article a bit today too same thing so i'm glad you're on the same page this is before we even spoke we both think this 
lines up pretty well for uh, St. Andrews, the old course at the open, which was the best DFS week um, in golf in my life. I <laughs> hate to look back at it again. Cause that's when one DJ birdie away on 18 from one in the millionaire maker. So that hurts, but uh, that's kind of where my model sits right now. So short iron play and obviously long iron play. So more like around the green, I guess too. But yeah, it's like you said that uh, Justin Thomas 14 under is probably not going to happen. looks like the weather should not be too bad here. So it's going to be a birdie fest, birdie or better percentage, make it, taking advantages of the par fives. I think it's a par 73 here. Well, I know it's a par 73 here. Believe, is there five par fives or four par fives i'm sorry i had it written down and i just don't have my notes so there are four par fives there are uh three par threes and then the rest come at the par fours yeah so pretty or better percentage for the most part because i believe it will be a birdie fest no cut so it'll be fun for dfs i'm excited to kind of give my thoughts on that but how about yourself what uh, what are you looking at for the most part here yeah, so I'll take you through the course a little bit. So the Kapalua Plantation course was designed in 1991 by Ben Crenshaw and Bill Corr, but underwent a minor restoration a few years back to increase the difficulty. As both of us have alluded to, those deviations have yet to increase the challenge when we look directly at scoring rates over the past few years, as 36 to 40 players finished 10 under par or better last season. Uh, the winning score has averaged nearly 27 under par during all iterations that didn't creep into that Justin Thomas blustery condition year over the past five years. And the 13% increase in GIR percentage and driving accuracy only fuels the notion that this is a mad dash of who can make the most birdies. I think that, Nick, you were probably on the right thing there. That's not going to be recreating the wheel by any means here. But there are a lot of ways that we can look at birdie or better percentage and all of those metrics and try to make ourselves unique. So I will quickly take everyone through the seven categories I weighed for the Century Tournament of Champions. I do want to note that having win stats present might not be the worst idea even if I didn't incorporate it into my own research metrics that I ran. But I started with weighted proximity for 20%. Uh, Nick alluded to this a second ago, but we get this unique distribution of proximity totals that will generate over a 6% enhancement for iron play under 100 yards and about a 5% inflation from over 200 yards versus your typical test on tour. That is, and we'll get to this player in a second, that is kind of where we're thinking this could be like St. Andrews. We saw that a lot with Cameron Young, where he bombed the ball out there as far as he could. It's wide open nature, and and there is a lot of rollout here, and you know, you don't have to look any further than Cameron Smith winning both of those tournaments to kind of equate that to where you don't necessarily need distance to win at those places, but if you can create a player that is going to be able to take advantage to at least they're not going to hit it out of bounds. Like let's start there. That's my one problem with speed, even though I do think speed is in play this week, but that short iron proximity is going to be massive. And then all the long iron play pretty much comes in on those par fives where you can take advantage there from the Eagles and the birdies that you can make. So uh, I essentially ran my model to include all proximity numbers over the last couple of years. I then added an extra 20% of only anything sub 100 and over 200 to intensify I guess I'll call that my course specific expectation there. I did 10% on weighted off the tee. That's going to be pretty much a 50-50 split of strokes gain total off the tee and a projected production when faced with easy to hit fairways. Um, you know, I think we're both on the same page. I added a very slight emphasis on driving distance to reward length, but I yep. think it's a relatively straightforward category that I ran in. And I don't think distance is the only prerequisite here. I think once you start running this for distance, you're going to go the wrong route, but I would like to find the player that's going to have a shorter look coming in just because these are really soft greens. The make percentage, which I'll get to in a second from zero to five feet gets amplified. To me, that tells me iron players, but we also need iron players from the correct distances. So um, 
we'll get into that in a second, but I did a weighted slow Bermuda for 12 and a half percent. And I know we're a little bit different here, Nick, um, maybe not massively because I only run putting so much in my model to begin with, but the green complexes are listed as Velcro. That means the speed on these putts will be as slow as players experience all season. It is worth noting that putting isn't the only dynamic that comes into play when you get the slower surface. That's what I was alluding to a second ago. So uh, we get a 6.6% increase on birdie putts made from zero to five feet. Balls are going to be more likely to stick on the greens. That's where your iron players kind of come into play there. So keep that in mind as you're building a model. I did recalculate a par four ranges for 12 and a half percent. No hole stretch between 450 to 500 yards, which is one of the reasons short and line long iron proximity see an enhancement. Uh, I obviously already have 20% on weighted proximity from earlier, but I wanted to infuse it again into a category that will present over 60% of the daily holes. Par five birdie or better, 17.5%. All four of those holes are going to yield between a 45 to 65% birdie or better percentage. I would say more so the inability to score at these locations will end your week rather than the ability to score. I think that they're almost, you know, I don't want to say givens, like one is almost 700 yards, but it's that like adage there that length isn't the, what makes a course difficult. I think that's, what's important to note here. The fairways are so wide open that players are going to be able to hit it where they want. They're going to have a long iron coming in. And then obviously you have a lot of undulation around these greens. And that's maybe where we can talk about guys like Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa that, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what they're able to do with that short game. But um, it, it's just another factor to keep in mind there. I did weighted scoring for 17 and a half percent. I don't want to get overly into that. That's pretty much me running easy tracks all over or overall birdie or better percentage and everything that went in there. And then I wrapped it up with weighted three putt for 10%. That's probably my ideal way of looking at putting. Like obviously the slow Bermuda, I ran the majority of it from strokes gain total on it. Um, I infused a little bit in from putting. The weighted three putt is more of my way that I wanted to get putting incorporated into the mix. So um, obviously the undulation that I talked about, we have a 0.19 stroke increase in three putt percentage here per round. It's not enough for me to warrant like blowing up my model, trying to look at that. But if you're telling me that I can at least put a little bit more in there to try to separate my build from everybody else, I'm going to try to go that route. So when we put all of that together, and this is going to be about as basic of a top five as you can hear, maybe not in the order that you would expect, but my top five ended up being Patrick Cantley, Scotty Scheffler. Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, and John Rom. You know, Nick, I can't imagine you have too many vast differences from what I just said there, but anybody stick out for you? Any outliers that you weren't expecting? Um, what was the order in general that you put together? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very similar. It's Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, Tony Fino at three was somewhat interesting, but he obviously had a, a fantastic season. Justin Thomas and Patrick Cantley. Yeah, so John Rahm's actually a little bit below here. I have him below Morikawa by one spot at the uh, six and seven hole. Yeah, I have Rom when I ran it for upside sixth, which is a little bit alarming to me when we're looking at the favorite of the tournament. And, um, you know, we can discuss that from a DFS perspective. I think there might be a little bit too much ownership for me to feel comfortable. But, you know, Tony Finau is a, a, unique, choice, a, a unique choice this week that we're going to have to make a decision on because – He's fifth in my model when I ran this for upside, and I only put 10% on Century Tournament of Champions uh, past results and 10% on, I guess, weighted form, which you could even argue to put 0%. We haven't seen these guys in so long, and right. that bumped Fino down the seventh overall for me, but you know, I, I guess let's just move right into the DFS talk here. There's a lot to talk about. 
I like this tournament from a DFS perspective. Like obviously we only have 39 players, so you can only get so unique, but uh, ownership seems to be consolidating in all the same spots. And anytime that that happens, I feel like you and I have more of a likelihood to create a lineup that can win a big contest. It doesn't mean that we necessarily will like that lineup could just as easily come in last place, but I would rather have this sort of a build that we can take versus like your standard week where, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to go about that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start 9K and above, like kind of the the anchors. I think most lineups out there are probably going to try to prioritize two of these guys just because pricing is pretty soft. You get a lot of good players in the 7K range and things of that nature. But looking at ownership right now that I have, maybe yours is a little bit different. The chalk is going to be John Rahm. Second chalk is going to be Xander Shalfi. I think if I had to choose as much as I love John Rahm, I love Xander more. Like yeah, that's my that's my favorite golfer. That's our boy. I would eat all the chalk and Xander. So let's say he's 30% owned. I truly believe I'm, I'm going to try to get my player pool down to like, I think 15 players. I don't, and that's going to be tough to like cutting literally half the field. But I think that's probably the way I'm going to go is kind of like I've always talked about for years. If you're a new listener or anything like that, first off, thanks for coming in and, and sitting with us and everything like that and listen to us. But I will probably go 2x the field on Xander. And since it's such a small field and the upside of John Rahm, I mean, some books are looking at Circa. I think they had him at six to one at some point today. Like that's alarming. I will not full fade that. I'll probably play some defense and not take John Rahm off my player pool, but he's going to be a guy I'm going to be low on. I think Justin Thomas is going to be a guy I'm going to be low on in this range. I think my top three in terms of DFS, I I like Finau a ton, um, but it's going to be Xander Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler, and probably Patrick Cantlay, and then honorable mention that Colin Morikawa. I wouldn't be surprised to see Morikawa's ownership fall below 15% here, closer to 10. So I don't have to be too crazy just to go 2x on him, like 20. I'll probably go 25 I'll, I'll, or 30, I guess. I'll probably assume ownership's closer to 15 than it is 10, just for the sake of getting different. But those would be my top three: is Scotty Scheffler, Cantlay, and Xander Shoffley, in no particular order. And then honorable mention to Colin Morikawa. And I don't know what I'm going to do about Finau yet because my model loves him. Obviously, he was in my top five. I, I've role reversed this a little bit from when I initially wrote my article for Roto Baller. So I let me go through some of my thoughts. Most of it's going to align with what you just said. But I think if we're looking from $10,000 and above, uh, I'll just start with those first two names. Look, I mean, it's difficult. I agree with you. Like, sharp markets obviously like really like John Rom this week. He's a favorite in every single matchup. I've also seen him as low as six to one at books that I respect. It's an alarming thing to want to take that on, especially when you look at course history. I mean, we're looking at since 2018, five top 10 finishes with two of those coming in second place being sandwiched in between in 2022 and 2018. I just, it's difficult because. Look, I don't know what ownership you exactly have in front of you. I think the most likely start to lineups, and you kind of said this yourself, I think it's going to be two of Rom, Thomas, and Xander. And that's what I want to avoid. Like, I'd rather pick one of those names and roll with them. And initially, I was going to say Justin Thomas because, I mean, he has that same course history that we're talking about. No-cut tournaments, birdie fests, all of those things come into play. I'm starting to lean right now, and and maybe I changed my mind on Wednesday morning or before it tees up on Thursday. I'm starting to lean Xander over Thomas now if I'm directly comparing between those three. So I like Xander. Patrick Cantlay's the number one golfer in my model. I know ownership continues to pick up there, but 
He's the number one scorer for me in par five birdie or better percentage, overall birdie percentage, um, easy scoring. Obviously, if you weigh all of that together, he's number one. The weighted proximity looks really good. All the Bermuda stuff looks good for him. I'm going to have a really hard time getting him out of my player pool. Like, I don't care what the ownership is. I'd rather go double on him and have that be my big exposure for the week. I like Scotty Scheffler a lot. I think that that's a part where all of us can try to get contrarian. There's only so many names that I see. Like if I'm looking right now from Matthew Fitzpatrick up, every single player other than Fitzpatrick and Scheffler are over 20%. I see Scheffler at 18%. I see Matthew Fitzpatrick at 10.9%. And that's kind of where I'm leading to for this final answer here. I, I Look, it comes down to Finau or Fitzpatrick. And it's really difficult to try to fade Finau with what he's been putting together lately. We know now he has win equity. I don't want to taste, take past examples of him and like roll it into what he is now. But my model doesn't see a massive difference between Fitzpatrick and Finau. And if, you're, like telling me, if you're telling me that Fitz is, you know, maybe he'll go up a little bit by the time like push comes to shove here. But even if he's like 12, 13, 14%. That's such a massive difference compared to where you can go anywhere else on the board. Like he's the best leverage play that I have. And this is coming from somebody. If you guys ever listen to the show, I'm never on Matthew Fitzpatrick. I find a reason to not play him every single week. And usually it's for the wrong reasons and I make the wrong decision with it. So if my model likes him, like that's a reason for me to want to go that route. So uh, I'll be on Scheffler. I'll be on Cantlay. I'm probably going to be on Xander and I'm going to be on Fitzpatrick and then I mean, if that's the route I'm taking, I almost have to get rid of everybody else in that range to make it work. So you're off Morikawa then, right? Uh, yes. Said, but, I mean, he's a 26-point dog right now at Pinnacle to Cameron Young, who we'll talk about in a minute. I think you and I both absolutely adore him this week. But, let me just yeah. say this really fast about Morikawa. I liked, and maybe my numbers are wrong. I see him at 22% right now. I understood the intrigue more when he was like, 15% yesterday when I had him there. If you could tell me he's 15%, in fairness, I'm still not getting there. I would rather go to Fitzpatrick, but like I would be more inclined to understand that belief of why somebody would want to take the upside with Morikawa. He's the number one player in all my weighted proximity of how I ran this. And, you know, greens and regulation are very simple here. And if you're telling me that like a normal player is hitting 70 something percent, I mean, Morikawa, if he's on fire, could hit like 90%. So, I don't mind anybody wanting to use him. I just have more trepidation if we're talking about him at 22% versus, you know, the numbers that you mentioned of being 10 to 15. I think he's much more conducive in that sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. So let's scroll down to the 8K range. Starts at the top. Will's out tours. What are you doing? I, I think, I mean, my notes in my model here when I'm thinking, I guess, off to the side here when I kind of take my DFS notes, what did I put for Willie Z? Just do we trust injury? I'd say pass, wait and see. So I think that's kind of where I'm at. Looks like most sports books agree. I'm going to use Pinnacle again as a reference because they're one of the more originating books out there for these matchups and kind of let the market dictate where they go. He is a dog, I believe, in every single matchup and even money to shit. I should have this. I'm sorry. Can't find it now. Um all right, go ahead. What are your thoughts on Markow? I'll find this matchup. I'm sorry, they're all over the place now. Oh, yeah, it's a big dog to Cam and Young. I said that. Whatever. I'll find the other one. I'm sorry. Not in mid-season form here, guys. <laughs> let, let me ask you this very quickly, because we have two players in this range that fall into the same exact dilemma that we're going to be facing here. 
and, and let's just get rid of everybody else for this example. If you were forced to pick one, or maybe the answer is zero, but if you were forced to pick one between Will Zalatoris and Hideki Matsuyama, both of those guys have some sort uh, of injury concerns. Are you just fully fading both of them? Is there one that you're more inclined to want to go to? I think I'd fade both, yeah. I'd rather wait and see. Will's never played here. Hideki, I just don't trust right now. And there's just so much win equity in this whole AK. Like the whole turn, it's a tournament of champions. It's people that have won before. Obviously, at the bottom of the board will probably skip over as a whole or mention some some diamonds that we have. But yeah, I think right now, even though the ownership's low on both of them, and I understand the game theory around with them, Matt Fitzpatrick's going to be 10%. Like that's not going to go up. I'd rather just find a way from Will Z to get 200 bucks to Matt Fitzpatrick at 9,100. And from Matsuyama, I think I'd probably, I know Russell Henley's not really a, a long hitter, but my model absolutely loves him this week. It's not, you know, Cam Smith's not a long hitter. He had his way at this course too. Um, and I like the green setup here for Russell Henley, especially when we talk about the only downside for him, I guess, is he's sure distance off the tee, but he is the longest he's been off the tee in five years and his iron play is the best it's ever been. So I like Russ a lot. Um I would probably go down from Matsuyama to Henley. So that kind of tells you what I think about Harmon, Horschel, and Connors. Or up to, I don't even like Max Homer or Tom Kim. I'm not sure. I like Tom Kim's just so damn good. But Cameron Young is my focal point in this AK range. That is going to be my guy. I have no interest in 25% Victor Hovland. I'll let that beat me. If it beats me, that's fine. But Cameron Young is, uh, is my favorite guy here. I really don't like the AK range. And I think a lot of people are going to get one guy in this range too. So it kind of sucks that I'm kind of in that same boat, but I feel like if you play Matt Fitzpatrick with a guy in the AK range, you're getting different right there alone. Cause not many people are going to have that combination. So I'll go with Matt Fitzpatrick and Cameron Young yeah, and if, fade everybody else in this range. Like even Jordan speed, as much as I love him, I'm, I'm going to be out. Okay. L- let me, let me backtrack what I was going to say then. So if we're looking for complete boomer bust in this section, the reason why I would not take Zalatoris and Hideki would be because I would go to Jordan speed. I don't know okay. what to ex- I don't know what to expect from him. Like you're you're literally closing your eyes and hoping for the best with him. But look, he was number one in my model last year when I ran it for this tournament. My final decision for my outright bet came down to either Jordan Spieth or Cameron Smith. I obviously made the wrong decision based off of Jordan Spieth being number one for me. Um, look, I mean, there's there's danger in playing him. I just want to point that out. But. Um, I guess I'll add this to this section also, just like to kind of combine two things. Yes, both of us are on Cameron Young this week. I like Cameron Young plus 100 over Victor Hovland. You can find that on Bet Online. Uh, I've seen that even moving at some of the sharper books that I expect, like in the direction against us there. I've seen that get up to like plus 110 at a site like Bookmaker, if we're using that for an example. And I, I, I like Bookmaker. I think that, you know, Bookmaker and Pinnacle are probably the two most savvy shops if you're trying to look for movement and try to figure out where things are going, but I can't understand why people are backing Victor Hovland this week. And in the same breath, I can't understand why people are not wanting to play Cameron Young. It's the wide open nature of this course. It's the short iron proximity for Cameron Young, the Bermuda putting on these slow surfaces. He boosts up in my model. When we look at that and you take a guy like Hovland, he has negative equity. When I look for weighted proximity, the three putt avoidance that we're going to find from him is terrible. And he's not a player that I necessarily trust in the wind. And, and that would be the one answer that I would provide for Colin Morikawa. Also is some of these elite iron players, like Justin Thomas might be the one that kind of bucks that trend a little bit. But a lot of these elite iron players are super proficient when you give them, you know, absolutely no wind to speak of. 
Hovland and Morikawa seem to go backwards a little bit, and I don't trust their short games. And maybe you could make the same argument about Thomas. I'd have to dive into that. Just like we know he's one of the best around the green players in the world. And maybe that's the difference that comes into play here to where he doesn't have that weakness that ends up hurting him. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm completely out on Victor Hovland. He's my biggest fade that there is. And I guess the one name just before we completely move on, just because he's so popular. Sung-Jay. Thoughts on Sungjae? Yeah, I'm I'm out. 35%. So when I meant the nut chalk, I was just talking about the top range. If I sort by ownership right now, Sungjae's second behind Rom. Yeah. I'm I'm no, I'd rather have Cameron Young. I think Cameron Young's a favorite in that matchup by a couple points. He is. And I yeah, agree I with that. I, I have Cameron Young as a six-point favorite. And if I look at my calculated numbers, so I mean it's right along with the market. So I'm not doing anything crazy there but yeah just 35 percent. no i'm i'm not doing that yeah i think with the way this is moving like i'd rather find a way to get up to fitzpatrick or cameron young or for myself personally i'd probably rather get down to adam scott or even like a 20 percent aaron wise uh my model seems to like him a little bit like there's not like in fairness Sungjae, my model believes should have been in like the mid nine thousand dollar range. Definitely. But he's definitely mispriced. That's that's the ownership on him for sure. Yeah, like I mean, it makes sense. It's just it's I'm not going to want to spend thirty five percent ownership, especially when we're talking about at the top. Like both of us want to be on Cantley. Both of us want to be on Xander. Um, you know, Finau comes into play. Like those are options I'd rather take than Sungjae when directly comparing, even at the price tag. Like there's just more win equity there than what I think Sungjae provides. And that doesn't mean Sungjae can't win the tournament, but there is a difference at the end of the day. Like kind of as Nick said, he's an underdog to Cameron Young in a matchup to where most of these other guys would either be a favorite or like if you took a guy like Cantlay or Xander, I mean, I think they would be pretty substantial favorites against Cameron Young if that price was to be released. Certainly. All right, let's hit the 7K range real quick. Start at the top. Uh, you have any, I guess, bottom 8K range. Do you have any love for Brian Harmon? He's getting decent ownership for that, Mark. I, I, He's, like, safe, I guess. But at 8K, Brian Harmon just seems, it seems like he should be 7,500, and I consider playing him. But I'll talk about my my love for two guys and or three. I, I think I'm just gonna say it real quick. I think Aaron Wise is just a free square. If you look at all the matchups, everything like that, like Vegas knows a lot more than I'll ever know. But it's golf, it's a variant sport, like there's a lot that could go wrong with any sort of chalk player. But Aaron Wise, I'm gonna look at as a free square and probably be extremely overweight on him. He checks every single box for me. I'm probably not as low on Brian Harmon as you are like proper price for me for him was 7,700. But with that being said, you should like more I'm playing or less over Harmon every time. Yes. And, and why should probably be flopped or uh, swapped with Brian Harmon there? Like an $8,000 Aaron Wise makes a lot more sense than a 7,400 Aaron Wise. Yep. I would agree. So uh, that's kind of my, my seven K thoughts. I love Russ Henley. I always do though. So if you're listening, keep in mind, I'm extremely biased. But before we move on, just very quickly, Nick, I just want you to throw this out because we're in agreement here. And and I know this is something that you put out for action network. And I just wanted you to add your thoughts to this because I'm seeing about 15% right now. I know both of us are off of saw hit the gala this week. Uh, You want to just give me like a two second reason why? Yeah, Sahith, what did I put down for him? He's pretty damn low on my numbers here. I know he's been working hard on his game, too. He's going to pound the ball. It'll be fun to watch him off the tee. But, well, one, ownership is, is crazy. And then 
everything I saw, his proximities are terrible. It looks like both of them are going like the two that I cared about the most was 50 to 100 and then kind of a, a rebuilt one based on other what people do off the tee. Um, it's not, you know, all shots from 200 aren't created equal, but everything that I have for him was quite low in that range. When I reweighted 50 to 100 and then 200 plus, he's negative, obviously, in the short game. That's always kind of been his downside is longer irons are actually pretty impressive, but that it's just, I don't know that in the ownership. So the short game that I value a ton here, he just didn't check that box and ownership is pretty much my, my whole thing here. Super volatile, too much ownership is what it comes down to for me. Yeah. He'll probably have a great low round too. It's just, does he shoot minus one or minus two most of the time and then go shoot a seven under. I don't think that does anything for you at that ownership at least. So the guys I like in the seven K range, I'll let you talk about Am Scott. I know you like him a little bit. Is Russell Henley, and surprisingly, my numbers seem to love Keegan Bradley, and he is actually pretty sharp in the matchup market. So I like Keegan Bradley. He's actually getting decently long off the tee. And then Seamus Power at 20%. I seem to have liked him early, but I'm going to be out on him. I'm certainly going to be out on Sepp Straka, which that kind of scares me a little bit because Sepp is certainly one of the best leverage plays in terms of ownership. I think he's going to be sub 5%. But Aaron Wise, Keegan Bradley, and Russell Henley is my 7K range. I did like Billy Horschel a little bit, too. He'll certainly make the pool. I'm not sure what to do about Corey Connors. Yeah, I don't have a problem with Billy Horschel either. Like, my model didn't love him, but I think you can create enough leverage there at about 6 or 7%. Um, I mean, in general, the $7,000 range is probably not my favorite. Like, it's Adam Scott, Aaron Wise, a sprinkle of Billy Horschel. I'm okay with the Corey Connors idea. He's positive leverage against ownership he's positive in my model against dk price even if it's just a little bit like at 11 i don't mind going down that route i don't mind the keegan bradley route that you mentioned but like for the most part uh kh lee is one of my biggest fade candidates that i can find on the board like it's essentially victor hovland's number one uh kh lee's number two and uh sahith the is number three that that order might be reverse of the way i said it but those are the three biggest fade candidates, like when it came to matchups in different areas like that. And uh, I'll just mention it very quickly on here. I know KH Lee in round one, and that's probably where you're going to get his best output, um, <laughs> depending on where you find it. I like Adam Scott against him in a round one matchup. That's minus 110 on a site like Bet365. If you have access there, it's minus 115 on Bovada. But, um, you know, I'm kind of looking to try to find ways to take on KH Lee. And, Granted, maybe not the first round being the optimal way, but there's just such a massive difference in my numbers. And with the way I like Scott, that's a play that I'm going to have this week. Yeah, I like Adam Scott way more. So I think I'm, I'm on you there. Um, any other thoughts on the 7K range? No, let's get to the 6,000s. We'll wrap it up there. And then I'll have you very quickly give us your card that you have this week. Sweet. All right. I don't think I'm going to play any of the low 6K guys, like up to... Uh, what are you doing with Svensson? So that's where I'd start. I my like little, him. You like Svensson? Okay, so I'll probably keep him in there. I like Tom Hogue. I, I think this is actually a decent course for him. He kind of checks every single box for me. It's going to probably be the chalk of the 6K range. I'm okay there because how different I believe I'll be up top. But again, ownership could change tomorrow. You never know. I really like JT Poston in this range. Too. And the market hates him, so it's starting to scare me. But he kind of checks every single box for me, all of his – proximities are going the right direction over the past year compared to his two-year baseline and i don't even really ever use a two-year baseline i use more recent numbers but we don't have that for this tournament so that's a main reason why my betting card is so short this week but i really like jt poston 
I have no thoughts on Scott Stallings and Tom Hogan, I guess, is somebody that my model seems to love is probably everybody's model loves him because it's 6,500. That makes sense. Adam Svensson, I just, I don't know what to do with him, but if you're going to talk me into it, I think that's fine. So I'll kick it over to you. Really, the only guys I care about is JT Poston and Tom Hogue. Yeah, I like JT Poston. I like Adam Svensson. Um, a little bit of JJ Spawn. His short game's just so bad, Svensson. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing, though, Nick. Like, when you look at this tournament, I think in general, like, anytime you go down the $6,000 section, it doesn't matter gonna, what tournament it is, yeah. you're going to find something from everybody that's a disaster. At least with Svensson, 75% plus of greens in regulation are hit here. Yeah, the undulation could be a problem for when he does miss, and he can't really make very many mistakes if you want to work yourself up the leaderboard. But I'm just hoping that maybe after a victory, the confidence is there, the ball striking remains, and he can produce better than some of these guys in this range. And then... Uh, I mean, this is about as gross as you can possibly get, but I don't say kind Chess of, Oh God. I, I, I told, I told model maniac that if I, I wrote him the other day and I was like, if Ches Reavy wins this tournament, I will retire from this space. So I'll do the uh, same. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'll put that out there, but no, it's going to be Luke list, which is kind of equally as gross, but the Bermuda putting, there is an increase for him here on slow surfaces. Like, Look, I mean, the ball striking has been really good recently, and at least he has an elite skill set that we can talk about. It's really good off the tee. So uh, at least give me something like that. And at 5%, like it's going to be boom or bust, but like I'd rather take him. Like if I'm directly, I like Trey Molinex a little bit. I don't like Trey Molinex at 15%. Like those two guys no. don't have a massive disparity for me. So I'd rather take the guy that's a third in ownership at, in Luke List and kind of take my chances there. Luke List or Adam Svensson? Um, like Luke List is even money to, to Trey Mullinex, so I'm with you there. I'll I'll keep him in the pool at 6,200 at five percent. If that's where he's at tomorrow, I'm cool with that. I mean, I Spenson is safer. I, I mean, I guess I go with him for that reason. Luke List has dead last potential in this tournament, more so than yeah. most players. Yeah, I would I would say so. Okay, that's fair. Um, let's get into the betting card real quick, and we'll call it a day. Perfect. I'll have you read off everything that uh, you have this week. I have two bets. It is JT Post in top 20 on FanDuel is plus 160. I had that number at plus 125. So even then it barely hits the threshold of 30 points of value that I'm looking for. And I hate this ticket, but Kyle Morkow to win at 20 to one. I have him at 17 to one. So barely any value there too. And like I said, I'm just going to be looking for the live market to attack the outright card. Cause there's just, I don't know. I didn't really find value on anybody. Xander, I guess, was closer yeah. to 15 to 1 in the beginning of the week, is now 10 to 1 almost exclusively for what I'm being offered. I'm out on that. I like Fitz a ton. I don't think I'll bet him to win, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at is moving live. And even Cam Young, as much as I like him, to me, it just seems like there's more an advantage as playing overweight on DFS than taking an outright ticket on him. It's hard to win this tournament in your first time playing here. I, yeah. I don't have the exact number in front of me right now, but it very rarely, if ever happens here. And uh, I have one of the grossest outright cards that I ever had. And, you know, I'm actually tuned into uh, the Action Network show that we do. I'll go in a little bit more in depth of why I'm taking some of these selections, because you will never hear me go to the very top of the board and take two names at the top. I limited my exposure down to five units instead of eight. Like if that kind of explains my thoughts on this tournament, it's I got Patrick Cantley at 12 to one. I took Scotty Scheffler at 10 to one. I had both of those guys being more in the seven to eight to one range. I really didn't have much value there other than Xander. Like this is a very weak tournament. Maybe Adam Scott, when he was at 60 to one to start the week and 
you know, as I said, I can get a little bit more into some of my thoughts there. I, I think that the cream is going to rise to the top and I don't really want to have dead money being thrown down into this tournament. Like, yes, closing line value is good, but it doesn't matter when one of the favorites wins this event. So I ended up doing it with that in my outright card. Um, I have Cameron Young plus 100 over Victor Hovland. I have Adam Scott minus 110 or minus 115, depending on where you can find that over KH Lee. And that, I don't have any placement bets. I kind of like the post in one, but uh, that's going to be it for me, man. I, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, um, I'll post my my DFS overweight and fades everything tomorrow. Other than that, um, I'm excited that it's, uh, it's great to be back. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope everybody had a great holiday season. And let's kick off the new year with some uh, some green screen, some winning tickets, and, uh, of course, some DFS finishes for everybody out there. Let's get after it this week. You can find Nick on Twitter at Sticks I am at Tee Off Sports. The two of us can be found together at Better Golf Pod. And as always, if you have any questions about the tournament, please feel free to reach out to us at one of those handles. Good luck this weekend at the Century Tournament of Champions. And as Nick said, let's try to start this year in style with some winning bets and DFS lineups.